Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome again to Cuyahoga Valley Church. And if you're a guest, we're especially grateful that you're here. And we hope that you just have a blessed, encouraging morning. And if uh, you're returning from last week, if you're First time visiting us was at Easter. Well, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. And if uh, you're listening online, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, hey, really, hey, really fast. How many of you have ever moved? Anyone's ever moved in here? I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the average person moves at least, I mean, most of us, if not all of us, move at least once in our life. And, and sometimes there are little moves. Sometimes there are big moves. I know for, uh, you know, those of you who know us, you know our story. Just over three years ago, we moved here uh, from California, and that was, that was a big move. And when we got here, it was just a, a warm welcome into the community. Just felt like God um, just rolled out the red carpet through this community uh, for our arrival as a pastor at this church. But on top of that, we, we got to know some of our neighbors. And when we first moved into a rental for six months, it was a great scenario. The Delfeld family at this church had a wonderful rental, and it was just ideal to be in that for six months when we first moved in here. And we got to meet a few of our neighbors and connect with a, with a few of them. But there was one set of neighbors that really stands out to me. And they just really went over and above what typical neighbors do. Uh, they just really embraced us, and just with um, tender, kind, servant-hearted motives, just kind of loved on our family. And it just manifested itself in, in several ways. Like if, when we would travel, they would watch our dog for us. They would keep an eye on the house. Uh, in fact, speaking of our dog, one time, uh, our dog, Rika, had made a big giant plate of brownies, chocolate brownies, and put them on the counter. Our dog found them, ate the entire plate. Uh, chocolate and dogs usually don't go well together. Um, so we didn't have a clue where to go. Well, they said, we'll take your dog. They took her to the vet, and she lives. She's fine, you know. And uh, there were times when Rika was sick, and they said, well, let us go get the medicine. Chad's at work, and um, all that kind of stuff. Just really welcoming. In fact, uh, that was 2010, so that was one of the big winters when it, it started snowing in, I don't know, October, November, and it didn't stop forever. And... Um, and our backyard went to their backyard. And of course, we're from California where everybody's yard is kind of like fenced usually. And so it took us a while to get used to not having fences. Our dog was like, why is everybody in my yard? You know, because, you know, everything was just open. And so our backyard's, you know, connected. And during that snow, uh, the husband, he, he um, took a shovel and he made this giant trail from his backyard to our backyard, like this monster trail. It was like, that was huge. It must have been a whole day. It was a big workout, you know, so our kids could play with each other. And so we'd see our kids, they'd go down the steps, and then you'd see this little beanie, you know, going through the snow. You know, but, but they were on this trail that he dug out. They just went over and above. And so we'll never forget how the Londricos just were neighbors that really embraced us. And it just got me thinking this week as I was preparing for launching uh, these next four weeks for us, I started rummaging through my mind about my, my previous neighbors. I started thinking about as far back as I could remember, my very first house. I just started thinking about all my neighbors. I went... Who stands out like that? Like, what neighbors can I recall? Like, what, what names and faces and what special acts of kindness and care, you know, did we receive as a neighbor from all the neighbors I could ever remember growing up and, you know, from all my moves? And it was, it was really a sad realization. The list was very short. The list was really short about how many neighbors really just cared and loved on each other like that. Uh, the list was a lot longer in the neighbors I never met, couldn't remember. And this all of a sudden just dawned on me. Most of my neighbors were forgettable. Were forgettable. And then another sinking feeling hit me. Am I a forgettable neighbor? <laughs> 
What kind of neighbor was I? Like, if, if, if we were to interview all the people that I lived next to since I was a kid, you know, to the modern day, like, how many people would look at me and think, oh, who is that guy? Oh, yeah, I remember someone lived in that house. Or, you know, did, did I do anything in, in a way to love, care, show, engage my neighbors that had left a positive impression in any way, shape, or form? And then I'm thinking about my current neighbors going, man, what am I doing right now to just love my neighbors well, to, to care for my neighbors well? Uh, if I were to interview my neighbors now, would, would they identify ways that we love on them and care for them just because we do life in community somehow, because we're in proximity to one another? What about you? As you think about the neighbors you've lived next to in your life, do, do certain neighbors stand out, like ones that just went over and above just being a neighbor? They really engaged you, cared for you, loved you, served you somehow? Or were they kind of forgettable? What kind of neighbor are you? Are you right now on a road to being a forgettable neighbor? How do you live your life where you live in such a way that's engaging the people who live closest to you in this moment? If we were to interview those who live by you, what are you doing to love them and serve them well that you would not be one of those forgettable neighbors? Well, one of the most popular and well-known teachings of Jesus is when he said, love your neighbor. Absolutely. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. The second is like it, talking about the commands. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to spend the next four weeks trying to raise the bar as a community. But what does it mean to love your neighbor? What did Jesus really mean when he said that? What does that really mean for us as we're going through life, learning to love our neighbor? Because yeah, there's definitely a big broad picture of that. But there's probably more a narrow picture of that as well. Because the church can do really well at spending money and time and effort and getting people on planes and cars and going out, but sometimes we neglect those who are the closest to us. And so we're going to talk about how to love our neighbors in the next four weeks. And I'm going to tell you right here, I have no interest in doing a four-week teaching series. This is not a four-week teaching series. My desire is that this will launch a movement in our community. That what we're about to talk about the next four weeks will not just be a teaching series, but it will become a way of life for you and I. There will be something that is an identity for our home. Whether you're a student, a teenager living with your folks, whether you're a young adult in a dorm or apartment somewhere, or whether you live in a home in a neighborhood, condo, whatever context you live in, my hope is that as we dig in the next four weeks, learning how to love our neighbors better, this becomes an identity, a way of life, a movement for our community. So we're going to spend some more time starting next week really dissecting what did Jesus mean when he said, love your neighbor. But for today, I want to start somewhere else. I want to start a little bit further back. I want us to look at the question and help answer the question, why do I live where I live? Why do you live where you live right now? In this moment, in this time. Because it's so interesting, when we look at God, this is this, there's this huge God who's in control of everything, and there's this weird, awkward, mysterious collision between God's will and what he puts in place and what we decide. Because you can sit here and go, well, I live where I live because I picked that house, I picked that apartment, I moved there. Yeah, you did, but he knew you would. <laughs> in fact, a lot of you would testify that he led you to where you're at. And so we're going to look around that today about why do I live where I live here and now? And I want to take you to an interesting passage to discover, I think, an answer to that. And it's found in the book of Acts, chapter 17. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 22 through 27 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, 
uh, we invite you to have one as a gift from us to you as a gift. So stop by the information center on the way out, get a Bible. For now, the rest of us, open your Bibles, um, fire up your Bible applications, and let's find ourselves together in Acts 17, verses 22. Now, a little backstory as you're turning there. Uh, this is about A.D. 49, A.D. 50, okay, 49 or 50 A.D., and we're, we're looking at an experience through the eyes of a man of God named the Apostle Paul, who God radically changed his life and, and basically turned him from a murderer to a missionary and sent him out to share the news of God's forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is during Paul's second missionary journey where he's out telling people about the Lord. Now, as he's uh, going along, he now finds himself in Athens, Greece, and uh, there is no shortage of philosophers in ancient Greece, <laughs> all right? And so here he is in Athens, Greece, and he's in the open-air areas talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus, talking about forgiveness of sins. And some of the philosophers catch wind of it, and they love to talk about new ideas. They love to talk about religious ideas. So they're like, man, let's get that Paul guy, and let's have a private audience with him. Let's invite him to our little club, our little hangout, and let's talk with this guy about this kind of awkward teaching he's really bringing. It's new, it's different. And so before he knows it, he's hanging out with these philosophers on something called the Areopagus, Areopagus, which is their hangout place, this big rock where they just sit all day and talk about ideas and philosophize and all that kind of fun stuff. That's what we're entering into right now here, Acts 17, verses 22 to 27. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of the narrative. Here's what we see. Now, Paul, standing in the middle of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Would you pray with me, please? God, as we gather here as a community, whether that's in person, online, God, we come with open hands, open hearts, open lives. Thank you for being God one who created everything, caused all things to exist. Lord, you made our bodies, you made our hearts, you made our souls. You made us to be in relationship with you. God, you made our neighbors to be in relationship with you. So Lord, as we take these next four weeks and really try to deep, in a deeper way understand what you meant when you said love your neighbor, God, uh, let us start here. Help us understand why we're here now. Why do we live where we live? Why do we live in this era, this time, this window? What does that mean for us, and what does that mean for our neighbors? Teach us, Holy Spirit, about these things as we open your word. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. As we look at this passage, I think we can get four insights that can help us be a more loving neighbor. Four insights that can help us be a more loving neighbor. The first is this. A loving neighbor is aware that there are spiritually curious people around them. Being a loving neighbor means you're going to realize there are spiritually curious people around them. Paul had a spiritually curious audience. These were philosophers. They had a religious um, understanding. They had religious ideas, and they were curious. That's why they were very intrigued by what Paul was talking about. 
They weren't offended by what he was saying. They were intrigued by what he was offended. Why? Because there was a spiritual curiosity in them. We all begin with a spiritual curiosity. I have no idea where you're at in your spiritual journey. Some of you are trying to figure God out. You're like, what's with God? What's with the Bible? What's with Jesus? I don't know what I believe. And you're spiritually curious. And I'm just here to tell you, you're in the right place. You're in a place that we hope you'll, you'll get some answers to those questions. And you'll get them in a loving way and an informed way. Some of you, you're new in your relationship with the Lord. You've only been walking with God maybe a year or less, and you're still you know, growing, but there's a lot of spiritual curiosity. If you're, usually when you're new in your faith, you just get hungry, spiritually hungry, and you just devour whatever you can get because that curiosity is so strong. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years, for decades. And you know what? Sometimes we forget to be spiritually curious. <laughs> now, what, 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 what's in the Word of God that I haven't seen in a while? What does God need to remind me about? Either way, there's a spiritual curiosity that exists in all of us. And then there's a spiritual curiosity in your neighbors. The people you live closest to have a spiritual curiosity, some at greater levels than others. And what happens is a lot of times we convince ourselves they don't because maybe they don't talk to you about it. Or maybe they come across like they have it all figured out or they come across like don't talk to me about stuff. But deep down, Everybody has spiritual curiosity on some level because we all are seeking to answer the big questions. Why am I here? How did it all begin? Is there a God? Is there not a God? What happens when I die? What's really my purpose for this life? The answer to all those things flow back to a spiritual foundation. Everybody has a spiritual foundation. Someone saying, I don't believe there's a God when you're dead and put in the dirt hole is a spiritual foundation for them. That's a belief system. That's a theology. Everybody's got one. And it's so interesting because we say, well, hey, man, you don't want to talk about politics. You don't want to talk about religion. Why? Because those are near and dear to our hearts. Those are valuable to us. So everybody has a spiritual curiosity. What's the spiritual curiosity of your neighbors? I I have found that a lot of times when I meet my new neighbors, whenever I've moved, it doesn't take long before they kind of just tell you where they're at spiritually, either bluntly or just some sort of indication it might be a quick conversation and just out of the blue, for whatever reason, they kind of throw it in like, hey man, as long as you're a good person, you'll be fine with the big guy upstairs, you know, or they'll just kind of throw stuff out, you know, or I go to this church, you know, they'll kind of, you know, play their spiritual calling card early on at some point. You don't even have to ask. It just kind of comes out sometimes. Why? There's, there's a spiritual foundation. But when everything hits the fan in your life, jobs, health, life, happiness, are threatened, guess what? We're going to go back to, is what I believe really true? (laughs) Is what I'm banking in spiritually really founded in truth? And when those moments happen, guess what's stirred up? Anyone want to take a guess? Spiritual curiosity. So guess what? God has put you where you are to help be part of that. And maybe it's just a seed that you're planting, one little statement Maybe just living in proximity is going to give your neighbor like, you know, I didn't get to talk about religion much with that neighbor, but I want to tell you what I saw in them. I'm going to tell you what I experienced in them as a neighbor that always made me more curious about what they believe. Paul realized there was a spiritual curiosity in the people around him. You and I live amongst people with spiritual curiosity, and God's placed us there to be part of helping discover what that is. And so if we want to be a loving neighbor, we're going to realize there's probably more spiritual curiosity in our neighbors around us than we think there is. And we have to be prepared to do something about that. The second way I think we can learn how to be a more loving neighbor in this passage, the second insight we can get is this. 
A loving neighbor learns about the needs of the people around them by personal observation. Notice here the Apostle Paul learned about these Athenians by personally observing some things. When you look at verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious. Verse 23, he says, Why? For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and then he relayed what he observed. So, so Paul was in this environment where he took the time to open his eyes. He slowed himself down enough to make observations around him to find out more about the people group he was in the midst of. This is where I think we as a Western American culture struggle most. We typically don't take the time and we don't make the effort to make observations about the people around us. We don't take the time to try to discover, explore, or perceive the needs that exist in the people that live closest to us. Uh, what, what our natural, normal, cultural behavior is like is I get up in the morning, I get myself ready, and I go from my front door to my car door, and I'm gone, and I come back, and I go from my car door to my front door, and you never see me again. Or up goes the garage, vehicle leaves. <laughs> Later on in the day, up goes the garage, vehicle comes back, down goes the garage. I think there's somebody in there. I've never seen them. How many are there? I don't know. What are their names? I don't know. That's, that's our norm. Have any of us ever thought about questioning why is that the norm and does it have to be the norm? Does it have to be the norm? What are you and I doing to make observations about the people around us that we live by? Because here's the thing. Everybody has physical emotional, and spiritual needs, right? Everybody, we have them, our neighbors have them. We have physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. God has placed you on purpose next to the neighbors that you have because maybe he wants you to help meet their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Maybe God has put the neighbors next to you so that they can meet some of your physical emotional, spiritual needs. There's probably someone here, if not a handful of you, that the reason you're sitting here is because a neighbor invited you. <laughs> Why? They perceived, they observed something in your life that showed that you had a spiritual curiosity and they said, hey, you want to go to church? Well, let me just say, get this on the table right now. You might think it's your friend or your neighbor who did that. It's really God through them. And God is just drawing you in because he loves you and he cares for you and he knows you have needs and he's going to meet those needs and a lot of times the way God meets his needs, those needs in our lives, is through other people, right? And so what observations are we making? This is a great time of year for us to be talking about this because people are coming out of hibernation, right? Like, like I'm seeing more people out there. You're seeing more people out there. They're active, you know? They're, they're, they're not the, like the dormant, sometimes I wonder, dead, you know, people in the winter. Like, there's a light on in the house. Okay, everyone's good, you know? Because we, we hide in the winter. I've, I've learned that here. It's, it's kind of crazy. It doesn't have to be that way. We could be like, hey, you're going to eat. I'm going to eat. Let's eat together, all right? I'll shovel my walkway. You can come on over, you know? We, we, can, we can break out of that norm. What observations are you making? Do you live next to a single mom who needs help? She needs help with kids. She needs help with around the house. Do you live next to an elderly person that, you know, <laughs> they, they can't do the things that they need to do? I was just talking to a guy last service. We were talking about this because I was sharing a story that sometimes you look at a house and also, you're like, oh, the yard's getting tall, 
you know, that car hasn't ran, it's been sitting in that driveway for months. And sometimes our immediate thing is like, I'm going to call the city. I'm going to tattletale, you know, and tell on them. Well, he found out that it was an elderly person in a wheelchair. And the renter didn't really care, or the, the landlord didn't really care. And so there was a need there that he started observing, perceiving. When he found out more, it's like, there's, there's something I can do. And you change your tune pretty fast when you realize whatever's irritating you as a neighbor, there's a reason behind it that maybe you haven't taken time to find out about. What observations and perceptions are you learning? I was hanging out with one of my neighbors a couple days ago. We were just chatting it up by the garage. I looked inside and he had golf clubs. Now, uh, I golf maybe once or twice a year. It's a dangerous activity for everybody around me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I've golfed with him and just said amen. <laughs> Marlo. It's true. I don't have a clue where that's going to go. Hit it and just pray, you know? <laughs> but I'm like, hey, you like to golf? He's like, ah, I can hold my own. I kind of like to go out every now and then. I'm like, I like to go out every now and then. Let's go out together, you know? You like to hit little white things with your clubs? I like to hit little white things with my clubs. Let's go hit one together. I made a perception, I perceive you're a golfer, <laughs> you know? Based on observation, you have clubs. <laughs> I just want to get to know my neighbor better, just to hang out. You know, what observations are you making about the people you live close enough? Will you take the time to slow down? Will you take the time to open your blinds uh, maybe move from the back porch to the front porch, open your garage, be out a little bit. Because we, we, we tend to live in isolated instead of integrated existences. Isolated, not integrated. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, get, get out there and just start to... What if you took 20% of the time that you spent in front of a screen of any type, TV, computer, device, 20% of that time and instead converted it to like walking out amongst your neighborhood? How much time would that be? Some of us are going, oh man. Because <laughs> a loving neighbor is going to learn to make some observations. I'm not talking about being a creeper. I'm not talking about being a stalker, you know. You're looking through the window, the blinds, like, pastor told me I should get to know you, you know. I'm just looking. Through. <laughs> you better not. Talk about just engaging your neighbors instead of hiding in your home. That's what a loving neighbor will do. And God put you on purpose to see the needs around you. What needs do you see? The third insight we can get about being a more loving neighbor here is that a loving neighbor shares their faith by invitation. A loving neighbor shares their faith by invitation. Remember here, Paul was invited to the Areopagus. He was invited to this rock to come and talk. He didn't climb up the rock and barge into the conversation and say, hey guys, I'm here to tell you something. He was invited. I think this is where a lot of us as followers of Christ, we find ourselves in one of two extremes if we're not careful. One extreme is we're terrified and intimidated to share our faith at all. This is so weird. This has probably happened to you if, if, if this is something you connect with, where you'll be with your neighbor, you'll be with your coworker, you'll be with a friend, and they'll tell you what they believe. They'll say something like, well, if you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. And you're going, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe it's about what Christ did, not what I have to do. But you don't say anything. So, so they shared, but, but you don't. And they'll tell you what they believe, but you don't reciprocate. What is that? It's intimidation. It's fear. You know what? We've talked about this before. If there's a person who wants to have a spiritual conversation and you won't engage, that's unloving. It's unloving if it's one-sided. Why not engage? Here's the other extreme. Sometimes we metaphorically kick down their door and dump all of what we believe in their you know, living room and then you know, are upset if they don't respond. We just give it all at once. 
And, you know, and then we want to know why they don't want to ever see us again. Hey, how you doing? Whoa. You know, they're in the house before they know what happens because they're afraid they're going to get like, you know, gospel oozied again by you. Just, you know, spraying it everywhere. It's like Paul was invited to this location. And then he was able to share. He found some common ground, a way to talk, and he shared. He didn't force the issue. He didn't force the topic. As a loving neighbor, we do come with the hope. And let's get on the table. We do come with the hope that our neighbors will experience a loving God. It is my hope that all of my neighbors come to know the Lord who loves them and the Savior who died for them and rose for them. That's my ultimate motive. That's what I desire most for my neighbors. It's the most loving thing I think could happen to the people I live next to is that they can experience God's love. So we have that ultimate motive. We've got to stop using ulterior motives. An ulterior motive is when something's concealed, right? If you get the phone call, hi, we'd like to give you a free cruise. You're like, and what do I have to do for that? Oh, sit through a presentation. Okay, oh, give me my credit card number. Not, you know. We've been very well trained for here's this nice action activity offer, what's underneath. You know, we reinforce that when we do something nice to our neighbors and we get buddy-buddy with our neighbors and then we slap them a flyer to the church thing as fast as we can do it. You know what that is? I want to be nice to you and here's the invitation to church. Here's the invitation thing. It's not that that's bad, but has it been invited in? Is it, is, is it, out, of, is it out of order to do it that way? We don't come with ulterior motives, this concealed thing. I'm going to be nice to you, but, and then when I get a chance, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Here's the thing. A loving neighbor says, I'm going to love you whether you come to Jesus or not. I'm going to care for you and be a good neighbor to you whether you come to know my God's love or not. See, we don't live lives trying to convert our neighbors. We live lives as good neighbors because we're converted. It's different. And, and, and this is a call to us to say, let's just love on them. Let's just serve them. Maybe they'll see something in us that provokes the spiritual curiosity and provides the open door that then we can share, but don't force the issue. For us to do this, we have to learn to fine-tune our skills for the invitation. When is your neighbor inviting you into the conversation? See, here's what happened with Paul. As he's doing this, he, he, he made these observation, observations. He was invited into the conversation, and he found common ground to, to talk about the things of the Lord. He said, hey, you guys got this altar that says to the unknown God, because here, here you have, think about, think about what Paul's doing here. Paul is a guy who's, he believes in monotheism. There's one God. He's talking to an audience in Greece that are polytheistic, many gods. And if you study the you know, Greek mythology and all the spiritual beliefs of ancient Greece, you see that they, they believed in all these gods. And they wanted to make sure that everybody was covered, so they made an altar just to cover anyone they missed. So here's an altar to the God that we might not know about. Here's Paul. He's invited in. He says, I know that God. I know that God. In fact, he's the only God. In fact, his love sent him to come down here in person to die on the cross for all our evil things and to raise from the grave so that we can have a relationship with God. Think about what his audience is doing. They're going, okay, we believe in a lot of gods. You believe in one. You're talking about death and resurrection. That's crazy stuff, you know? He was, he was courageous in what he shared, but he wasn't careless. He was tactful because it was invited in. 
you and I have to tune our ears to be tactful to the invitation. And it might come like this. And it might come with them talking about their spiritual beliefs. Well, you know what? Enter into the conversation and share. Just say, here's what I believe. You don't have to try to win them over, you know, in that moment. Just share what you believe. A lot of times, here's where the invitation comes from. It comes from them telling you about something going on in their life. We have to understand that sometimes them trusting you, which is, by the way, huge if your neighbor trusts you. Who doesn't want a neighbor that they can trust? Someone you can give them the key to your house, the entry code to your door. You know, if your neighbors are doing that to you, they trust you. That's awesome. If you can do that to them, and there's a trust building. That's a beautiful thing for a neighborhood. But here's the thing. If they trust you and go, I might lose my job. I lost my job. Hey, one of us is sick. One of us is having health issues. Um, Man, we got mom or mother-in-law moving in. We've got these things going on. We've got marriage issues. We've got relational issues. You know what that is a lot of times? It's a subtle invitation for you to say, you know what, thank you for telling me. You mind if I just pray for you? I'm just going to be praying about that for you. It doesn't mean you like you put them up against the wall, put your hand on them and start praying for them. That's weird. <laughs> just means you heard about a way that you can pray for them. You've made an observation. You can perceive a need in their life. You know what happens? You go back to your home and around the table with your meal, you know, your family, if, or if you're, you know, you're on your own, you, you have a list, you say, oh man, that's right, so-and-so's going through this, and so-and-so's going, I just pray. Because here's what happens. I, uh, when you say you're going to pray for somebody, you know what it tells them? You believe there's someone who's listening. And you believe there's someone who can do something about it. You know what that's going to do? It's going to arouse, you know want to guess? Spiritual curiosity. I've never been turned down to pray for my neighbors. I've never had someone say, no, 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 please don't pray for me. Sometimes I'd be taken back like, oh, that's not typically offered. Sure. Who can't use more prayer? I used to live next to a guy named Ed and uh, for, for like six, seven years. Nice guy. We had, you know, he lived across the street. We had the little, hey, what's up? You know, hey, what's up? Turned into like talk and shop. Hey, nice mower. You know, like the lines you do in your grass. It turned into like, ooh, cool hot rod you have in your back of your house. I just started connecting with Ed. Every now and then I'd give Ed a flyer to, hey, we've got this concert coming up at the church. Or, hey, we've got this, this you know, ball game we're doing with a bunch of guys. Ed never took me up on a flyer to church. Never, that guy never came to church. One time, though, early on, he was talking about his mother and how she was sick. I said, Ed, can I, can I just remember your mom in prayer? He goes, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, Sure. You know, a few days later, I'm like, hey, how's your mom doing? I just started bringing that up every now and then. I would remember to pray for Ed and his mom when I'd pull out of my house. I'd see Ed's house. Go, oh, yeah, Lord, pray for Ed. Pray for his mom. Pray that you touch her and heal her. And if they don't know you, they can have a relationship with you, God, whether, however you bring that about. And I'd just pray for Ed. And every now and then, I'd check on Ed. This, this, is, this is what happened. Every now and then, I'd be going out, and Ed'd be mowing the lawn. He'd turn off the mower. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, can you throw one up to the big guy for, uh, for this for me? Hey, hey, my mom's better. She's doing better. Thanks for praying, man. I had more spiritual conversation with Ed across the street than I ever would have had in the church. See, this is where we got to get things. It's not about, and there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, continue to do this. It's not about inviting them to the church. It's about us being the church and going out to the community. Praise God if you have more spiritual conversations in your neighborhood than you ever have here. This is the huddle. We love God, we worship God, remember the play, go out and do it. We don't watch football and go, ooh, what's going to huddle? They're going to huddle. Ooh, that's awesome. (laughs) What are they doing? 
Oh, I'm getting in lines. I'm throwing that ball around. That's stupid. Oh, right here. They're huddling again. That's awesome. <laughs> Don't do that. We're going to watch them play. Man, some of us Christians, we get so excited about the huddle, we forget it's about the play. It's about being a loving neighbor to the people around us. But are you invited into the conversation? Make sure there's an invitation into the conversation. A loving neighbor will look for that, listen for that, and be courageous but not careless. You know why? Because God's put you there. God put you there on purpose for those people. The fourth insight I think we can make when we look at this passage is that a loving neighbor sees the significance of God's placement and purpose. As Paul was sharing what he knew about the Lord, he shared something that was profound. You've heard me now say several times, God's placed you on purpose. God's placed you on purpose. Where am I getting that? I'm getting it from this passage. Because as Paul is telling these guys what he believes, he says there's one God. He made everything. And he made everyone. Everyone has their life and their being from this one God. In fact, he brought every person out from a common ancestor, the one man, the first man he ever made, Adam. He made them. We'll be talking about that, by the way, a little bit more about five, six weeks when we kick off a series in Genesis. But one man, God made all these people, and then he put them where he wanted them to go. Look at what he says in verse 26. It says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is, that, again, a collision. You picked your house, but it was already pre-picked before you picked how does that work? I have no idea. It's just the way God works. A lot of you just know God put you there. God knows where you're going to be next. He's going to put you there. It's just the way our God works. He puts you there on purpose. I mean, think about, think about what we're saying about God. Okay, Think about a map of the world. Think about all the people groups, all the, all the ethnos, all, the, all the, the people, the ethnic diversity. Man, it's a beautiful, beautiful... Um, just collection of all the different tribes, languages, tongues. God's God of everybody. It's a mosaic. But he still put everybody in boundaries for seasons. It says right here, for periods of time, God knew where these people were going to be and when they were going to be there. And he determined it for the world. So for you and I, you know what he means? He knew you were going to be in the United States right now. He knew this would be your nation. He knew that you were going to be in Cleveland, Ohio. He knew that's where you were going to be. I got to tell you something. Five years ago, I had no clue I'd be in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm so glad I'm in Cleveland, Ohio because God put me here. He put me here because he had given me things to give. He put me here because he had things here to give to me. It was all part of God's purpose. God knew which city, which town, which region in Cleveland you were going to be in. God knew which street you were going to be on. He knew where your house was going to be. He knew what neighbors were going to be around you. God put you where you're at right now. God knew who was going to be where and when they were going to be there. How does that work? I don't fully understand that. But that's okay. I don't have to. I just got to be faithful. You just have to be faithful. God put you here now for this time. Why? Why? What's the purpose? Verse 27 just lays out there that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. It is God's desire 
that people come to know him and experience him. It's God's desire that every person knows that he's close. And one of the ways he does that is by putting you close to the people that need to know that. And by putting people close to you that he wants you to know things about. So that we all can find him and be in relationship with him. The ultimate goal, the ultimate motive. This is what's so cool about God. You've got God of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Every nation, every tribe, every person for all time. God loves everybody, has a plan for everybody. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. Everybody. Okay? He's the God that loves that wide and that big. And yet, he's also the God of Matthew 10, 29-31, where we see Jesus say, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. No bald jokes. <laughs> Fear not. Therefore, it's an easy count, by the way. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Translated and simplified, if a bird dies or has something bad happen to it, God knows. How much more valuable are the ones who are made in God's image to the one who made them? God loves the world. Also, God loves you. He knows you. He loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He raised from the grave for your salvation, for your eternity. God loves this big and God loves this big way. And guess what? He loves your neighbors too. He loves your neighbors like that. So you, you answer the question, why did he put you where he put you? Why are you around the people you live by? You answer the question. <laughs> Summary. Loving neighbor is aware that there's spiritually curious people around them. They learn how to meet the needs of the people by personal observation. They share their faith by invitation. They see the significance of God's placement and purpose. Here's a take-home. Here's an idea placed on purpose. Every single one of you are placed on purpose to give, to receive, to build community, to love your neighbor. We're going to talk more about this in the next few weeks. Here's the application time. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, here's where I'm really going to invite you, call you, challenge you in this moment. Again, I'm not after a teaching series. I'm after a way of life. I'm after a movement by our people. I am inviting you, calling you to be a life house. We say here at CVC that we're inviting people to new life in Christ, which means that when you come into relationship with God, when you understand the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it gives you not just eternal life in heaven, but it gives you new life here. And just as a lighthouse gives light to its surroundings, if Christ is in us, has given us new life, where we live, we should be giving life to those around us. We ought to be giving life to those around us by loving, by serving. Well, that means I might have to, like, you know, alter my schedule. Yeah. That means I might actually have to, like, meet some of my neighbors. Yeah. Homework assignment. Learn the name of your immediate neighbors. Some of you have gone, uh, I've lived next to that person for a decade. I don't know their names. Well, let's get going. I've got names to learn. <laughs> you got names to learn. Here's what a life house is. A life house 
is an occupant, whatever your context, students and the, and dude, when I was, if I was sitting where you're sitting and I was a teenager, it meant that I would do it because my parents didn't even love Jesus yet. This is not an age thing. If you're a teenager, you're a child, you love your neighbors. How can you serve and bless your neighbors? Oh, that kid's mowing my lawn. Here's five bucks. I don't want five bucks. I just want you to know I love you. Boom. Young adult, condo, apartment, wherever you live, whatever your context is, you're on a boat in a marina. Okay, other boats, whatever. The Lifehouse says, the eight surrounding neighbors, I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to love them and serve them. That's my mission. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn their names. I'm going to perceive and observe needs in their life. And I'm going to try to just pray for them. I'm going to try to care for them. I'm going to just try to share my story, learn their story, tell them God's story. If the door opens up, it's going to be a life house. I'm going to love my neighbors. I don't have time to go into all the details right now. I want to give you some homework, okay? Um, on the way out, you'll see a booklet like this. It's a life house guide. It has everything that I want you guys to know and learn and understand over this next week as we kick off this, t- this whole effort. It's not a project. It's a way of life. And, and basically it's saying, I'm going to learn how to pray and care and, and, and share with my neighbors. It has ideas. It has tacticals. Here's what I'm asking. I'm looking for 100 people to commit this week to be a life house. 100 families, 100 family units, 100 people, however it breaks down. Think about this. If we want to make an impact on our community just to love them in the name of the Lord, if 100 of us commit and we each take on eight surrounding neighbors, if the average home averages out to about three, we just committed to loving and serving 2,400 people in our community like that. And that's just the beginning. Will you be a life house? Will you pray about this? Will you process this? You know, there's a, in this booklet, there's a commitment card. It says, I want to be a life house. If you're, if you're listening online, this isn't something that's just here now for Cleveland, Ohio. Maybe it's where you live. You know, if you leave from here, let's say you move in a year, guess where I want you to be, wherever you go? Life house. Well, I want to retire. Well, I'm sure you're going to have eight neighbors. Love them. This is, this is a way of life. This is a calling of Christ. Commit. Fill out that card. Drop it on the box. Mail it in. Email us. Hit us up on Facebook saying, I'm a life house. Let's just start this and see what God's going to do through our body as we commit to love our neighbors. You might be sitting here today, and as we're talking, what's sticking with you is this death and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the having new life. You're going, well, before I can love my neighbor with this kind of stuff, I've got to get that down myself. Maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Man, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to encourage you just to come to a place where you said, God, I don't have it figured out, but I need you. I need you in my life. And there's a response card there. You can let us know, hey, I want to talk more about having Jesus as my Savior. There's a prayer cove that afterwards, if you've got a prayer need or you want to talk more about this relationship with Christ, go to that prayer cove. Just say, hey man, what do I need to know about getting right with God? We'd love to share with you. I don't know what this looks like for exactly where you live in your context. This is what God's calling us to, to love our neighbor, literally, as a lifehouse. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, as we think about your great love for us, as we think about who you are and what you've done and what you're calling us to do. God, help us to learn how to love our neighbors better. God, I thank you for those in the room. I look around. I know there's some people here loving their neighbors very well. God, would you extend their reach? Would you broaden and widen their heart to love even more neighbors, God? For some of us, we've never even taken that first step. We don't know the names of the people who live around us. We don't know about the needs that 
can be met because you've put us where we're at on purpose. God, give us a broken heart, a compassionate heart for these people. God, the new life that you've given to us, Lord, let it flow out of us. Let it flow out of us to those who live in closest proximity to us, Lord God. No ulterior motives, no bait and switch, just love, just serve, just be who you call us to be. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. Amen.